All right, would you take your Bibles and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 5. We'll be looking at verses 1 to 16 this morning. And I'd like you to just keep the uh, text open in front of you. I'll refer to it when we come to it, and we'll read it at that time. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and as we talk about caregiving this morning, I pray that you would really show us our part in that how we can be the body of Christ, helping one another in a way that is meaningful, a way that demonstrates your love and concern and is an example to the world of who you are and how much you do indeed care for us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. As you watch that sketch, did you find yourself identifying with one of those characters there? Uh, most of us would probably see ourselves like Shannon. We would rather uh, be the caregiver than the care receiver if we had a choice. Most of us don't want to appear to be needy or dependent upon anyone. We'd rather be the one giving help and serving someone else rather than receiving that ourselves. That's one of the things, too, that scares us about getting older because we know at some point in our life that day's going to come when we can't do everything for ourselves that we once were able to do. And we are going to find ourselves being more dependent to relying upon others to come alongside to help us. But even today, even in our life today, there may be needs that we are wrestling with that we've not really wanted to share with someone else. Maybe you are struggling with depression or an illness or an addiction. Maybe there are marital struggles or financial burdens or concerns that you have for your children. And you haven't really wanted to open up and admit that to someone else and to say, I have a need here. Would you pray for me? Or could you help me? That's part of being the body of Christ too. That this really needs to go both ways. We need to be willing to receive as well as willing to give help and encouragement to one another. The chapter that we're going to look at this morning talks about the care of widows in the church. And it does it in a very practical way. And I like that about the Scriptures. The Scriptures don't skirt real issues. They talk about them openly and directly. And they give us practical examples and principles that we can use to apply to our situation. Because times do change. And things may be done differently now than they were then. And yet the principles of caring for one another are the same. In that day, the care of widows was very important because they didn't have things like life insurance and medical insurance and Social Security or Medicare to help people as kind of a floor to assist them in those years as they got older. Our world is different in that regard. But there are still needs that come up in our life for all of us, whether we are young or old. And I find these chapters to be very helpful for us in establishing guidelines for how and when we can use our benevolent fund, too, when we help those in our church who have financial needs. So this morning we're going to look at some of the principles that really informed how they cared for widows and then apply that to our situation in the church today. Paul begins by reminding us that we, the church, are a family. And you have heard that before in this passage. The model for the church is that we are a family. And we are to have that kind of love for one another. He tells us that in verses 1 and 2, if you look at that. Paul said to Timothy, for example, Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. 
Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. Paul was making a transition from what he had said earlier about Timothy and his gifts. And there was going to be a point here where Timothy had to confront some people in his church. And it seems in particular one of them might have been an elder who had gone into this false teaching. And a little bit later in this passage, he's going to talk about that and how you address those things. But he's saying, Timothy, as a young man in ministry, when you talk to an older older man, don't rebuke him harshly but exhort him as if he were your father and treat him with honor and respect. You know, that's what this passage is talking about. That's part of what it means to be a family. We are to treat one another with honor and respect as fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters. And that means that when we disagree, we need to be careful with what we say and how we say it, with our attitude and our tone. We are to speak the truth to one another, but do that in love, Ephesians 4.15 says. We can be honest and direct, but we need to say that in a loving way. And this, again, would be important for Timothy as he had to confront this older gentleman. But also, the Scripture tells us that we are to correct with gentleness. We see that in 2 Timothy 2, verses 23 to 25. And it's a remarkable passage that talks about how even there, when there are people who are in opposition to you, you are to deal with this with gentleness. Paul said, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments, because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not quarrel, but instead he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful, And those who oppose him, he must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. Timothy, here's a word for you as a pastor. When you deal with issues that are hard, and you have to correct or you have to deal with problems that have come up, do that with gentleness and respect. That's true for all of us in the body of Christ as we speak to one another. And then secondly, as a family... We are to have a deep concern for one another. Uh, In the body of Christ, locally, that's especially true, but we see that even when crises occur in the church at large. You saw how the church responded to Hurricane Katrina when we heard of churches and believers in those communities that were affected by the devastation. And the church today is still sending volunteers and aid and help to help them rebuild their homes and their lives. I was recently at our district conference and one of the pastors from New Orleans spoke and shared about that and how blessed his people have been and what a ministry it has been for volunteers to continue to come. And he shared literally the hundreds of thousands of volunteer hours that have been put in just from people in our denomination alone. And you know that many other denominations are doing the same thing. We've also seen the concern this week with the tragedy that took place at Virginia Tech. And we all felt our hearts weighed down. And we grieved with them and we wanted to pray for them. In our church, I found out this week that Olin and Bev actually attended Virginia Tech. They had classes in that uh, particular classroom where the students were killed. Uh, They stayed in that dorm and they knew the campus well. And they received reports from friends and alumni that had gone there. 
Gail and I, because of our years on Campus Crusade for Christ, received prayer requests that were coming from staff friends that we know who sent that around to us. Four of the students killed were involved with Campus Crusade for Christ. One of the students, the girl who discovered the two dead bodies in the dormitory, they were next door to her room. She, too, was involved with Campus Crusade and, and asked for prayer as she had to tell her story to the media and those that were investigating this. And it was so traumatic, so awful for all of them. Here are brothers and sisters in Christ, and when we hear of that, our hearts go out to them, and we lift them up in our prayers for God's grace in their life. That's the way the body of Christ works, whether it is at large, but especially locally in our own church. In our church, when people have needs, there are many different ways that we can help them. In our church, our care ministry provides these kind of resources. We offer prayer support. We have a church-wide prayer chain. We have a healing prayer, whereas where one individual can meet with another person who's trained in this to pray about specific issues in their life, asking for God's grace and healing in that area. Or you can call for the elders to come and pray, and we have done that many times. We have a Stephen ministry where there are specially trained lay people who will come alongside to encourage and support an individual one-on-one in this kind of partnership as they walk together through some difficult things in their life. We have budget counseling for those who need that. We have our sharing shop that provides clothing for people both inside and outside of our church. We do marriage support or marriage training, premarital counseling for those that are getting married. We have marriage mentoring that we are working on establishing that more and more, but we offer counseling for those that are going through difficulties in their marriage. We also provide meals short-term, uh, on a short-term basis as needed. When someone has a baby, someone is hospitalized or there's that kind of crisis, you can contact us and we have arranged meals for individuals for a time. And we also have a benevolence fund that assists people with financial needs when they find themselves in an emergency or a crisis where there seems to be no other way to deal with this. And they come, and we've assisted people at those times. All of those ministries are listed in a brochure that you can pick up where we have the information displays in our church about our care ministries, how it works, and who you need to contact or who you should talk to. Uh, if that need arises. And the director of our care ministries is uh, Bev Phillips, and she works along with us as pastoral staff to find the appropriate way to meet someone's needs. And that's just been a tremendous ministry to see that grow through the years. And many of you are involved in that, helping and assisting those who are in need. That's what it means to be part of the body of Christ. And that's really what was happening here in this church in Ephesus in 1 Timothy 5. They had a need to care for widows in their congregation. But because funds are limited for every church, guidelines need to be set up in terms of who we can help and when we can help so that it is done fairly and appropriately. And we have guidelines like that too for our benevolence ministries. And some of the principles that are shared here in the scripture are, again, that we are to help those who are truly in need. 
And so needs have to be determined in terms of are these uh, genuine needs? Is this something that the church should step in and assist on? Or is this something that could be met in another way? And there were five requirements that they had listed for widows. Five requirements that a widow needed to meet if she was going to be supported financially by the church. The first one was this, that she must be a widow without family to help her. And we'll see that at several points in this passage. If you look at verses 3 and 4, Paul said to Timothy, Give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn first of all to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents, for this is pleasing to God. So here it was saying that if a widow had no family, the church was to assist and care for her. But if a widow had family, whether children or grandchildren, those family members should help first and put their faith into practice by caring for their parents and grandparents. And so this particular widow would not be a burden on the church, and the church would be free to assist others. If you have the King James Version of the Bible that you are reading, you'll probably notice that it says uh, children or nephews. I looked at that, I was puzzled by that, and I found out that the word nephews in the 17th century was actually used commonly to refer to grandchildren. So it's basically saying the same thing. If you have children or grandchildren, they should care for their parents and grandparents. Uh, Many of you are probably going through that right now. Gail and I uh, did that with my mom as she grew older and needed to be cared for and there were things that she could not do. And we are now in that process too with Gail's mom and dad as they look at um, their abilities or are not, they're not able to do as much as they once did and they need help around the home and with the yard and things like that. And we're talking about scheduling a family work day to go down and just help with things in the spring to assist. And there are times like that when you've had to do that too with your mom or dad as they've gotten older or your grandparents. It's appropriate that we as believers in the body of Christ should do that. And Paul says that if we fail to do that, we are actually being worse than an unbeliever. In verse 8 he said, If anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for his immediate family, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. You see, even in the Roman world, among the Gentiles, among the pagans, there was an understanding that you were to care for your family and be responsible there. And so how much more in the church should we model that kind of love and grace? Secondly, Paul said that uh, this particular widow, if they were to be put on the list, she must be a believer uh, who would devote herself to ministry. And here it seems that to be on this list, there was some sort of responsibility to give back to the church in terms of ministry as much as they were able. It might have been a ministry of prayer. It might be older women teaching younger women. It might be serving in the church or helping as much as they were able. They weren't to be just living for pleasure, Paul says. In other words, they weren't to be just living for themselves. He said in verses 5 and 6, he said, The widow who is really in need and left all alone puts her hope in God and continues night and day to pray 
and to ask God for help. But the widow who lives for pleasure is dead even while she lives. In other words, if all we're doing in our life is just living for ourselves, we're missing the point of why God has us here. If we're just living for pleasure, in other words, if they as a church were supporting some who thought that they could just live a life of luxury or indulgence, and that was fine. That's not what this is about. We are here to serve. And that's why this point is a good thing for us to think about when it comes to our life as well. What is the purpose of our life? Why are we here? And how are we using our gifts, our resources, the talents, the money, the finances, the time that we have to be a blessing in the lives of others? We're not just here to spend that all on ourselves, but we are to minister to one another in the body of Christ. Thirdly, Paul said that she must be at least 60 years old. And we see that in verse 9, that no widow may be put on the list of widows unless she is over 60. Back then, that probably meant you didn't have many years left to live. Even in our country, it's interesting that when Social Security was established, the average life expectancy was 62 years of age. You can understand that Social Security was not set up to provide for someone's needs for 20 or 30 years. People weren't living as long, and so when you had a retirement age around that point of 62 or later 65 and now pushing it back, um, it was intended to be more of a short-term support for people in their lives. Today, people retired, and average life expectancy is more like 84 years. You may have 20 years that you're going to live in retirement. What will you do with those years? How will you spend that? Many of you have been involved in things like mission trips or mentoring or service in the church or community or care of grandchildren or coming alongside others uh, to assist them as they age. And that is what God intends, that we would be a blessing in the life of others. He doesn't say that we should retire so that we can simply spend 20 years playing golf or cards or something like that where we are just enjoying this free time and not giving back. Fourthly, it says that she must have been faithful in her marriage. And it's interesting, again in verse 9, she was to have been faithful to her husband. And the word that they use here is the same qualification that was asked of elders and deacons, only it's reversed. Elders and deacons were to be a one-woman man. And here it is saying of widows that they are to be a one-man woman someone who has been faithful in their marriage. It doesn't mean that she couldn't have been married more than once or that she couldn't remarry because we're going to see later in this chapter that younger widows are encouraged to remarry. But it does mean that she was faithful in her marriage. And it does seem that if she was to be put on this list where she was supported by the church, she was pledging herself to remain single and to devote herself to ministry in the church. And fifth, she was to have had a good reputation in the church. And we see that in verse 10. She is to be well known for her good deeds, such as bringing up children, showing hospitality, washing the feet of the saints, helping those in trouble, and devoting herself to all kinds of good deeds. And going on, it said, As for younger widows, do not put them on such a list. 
For when their sensual desires overcome their dedication to Christ, they want to marry. And thus they bring judgment on themselves because they have broken their first pledge. That's where it seems to indicate that if these widows were to be supported by the church, there was an order that was established here. Maybe that's the beginning of where um, the Catholic Church uh, developed an order for nuns who would devote themselves to service. And here Paul is saying that younger widows, I encourage to remarry. Verse 14, I counsel younger widows to marry, to have children, to manage their own homes, and to give the enemy no opportunity for slander. In fact, some have, in fact, already turned away to follow Satan. He didn't want younger widows to become idle, gossips, or busybodies, or anything else. He wanted them to marry and care for their children and manage their homes. In some ways, as I was reading through this, it reminded me of the musical The Sound of Music and the movie that you've seen where Maria is counseled to get married. And then she has those desires and she loves those children. She is encouraged not to join the order but to find herself as a mom and a wife and to take care of those children. That's why I say that this particular passage of Scripture is offering some very practical advice on how we deal with an issue in the church. Now, it may be different in our culture today on how we um, care for widows because of all the other supports that are there that can help to care for them. But we still have a responsibility to come alongside of those that are aging. And we also have a responsibility to help those who may be in financial struggles along the way. In verse 7, Paul said this. He said, Give the people these instructions too, so that no one may be open to blame. Now isn't that interesting? He's saying to Timothy, Make these instructions known. Let people know what the guidelines are so that nobody can charge you with things like showing favoritism, so that it's not fair, so that people don't know how this is established and what the leaders of the church have decided. I think that's important for us, too, to have that kind of disclosure as well, if you will. You see, we at Lakes Free Church have a deacon's fund. It's a benevolent fund that is used to assist people in our church with financial needs. And these are some things you should know about how our Deacon's Fund operates. The Deacon's Fund that we have is not part of our church budget. It is funded by the special gifts given by the people of our church. And there's a line on your offering envelope that is is designated Deacon's Fund for this purpose. And you can give to that at any time. You can give money into our Deacon's Fund, and it will be used to assist those who are in need. The monies are managed by a small group of leaders in our adult ministry. Pastor Ron and myself are also involved in that process. And requests are kept confidential. Third, we try to be generous with this fund and not stingy. And by that we mean that we believe the best about people's intentions and what they tell us, and we will trust that their need is legitimate until proven otherwise. Requests often come from ABF shepherds or care leaders on behalf of someone in their group. And then we do not lend money from this fund. We only give it away. However, we do encourage people who have benefited from it to remember to give back to it when they are on their feet again so that others can likewise benefit as they have. 
This is the New Testament, one another principle at work in a very tangible way. We don't track that. Gifts that are given are anonymous. But you know, it's interesting. There are times when we have gotten a note, or I remember when we were up in Fargo, uh, there was a time when a family sent back a letter, a thank you, and a very large check. They had been assisted by the Deacons Fund in that church, and when they moved away, God had provided for them. They had got a new job, and they were doing much, much better. And they remembered how blessed they were by receiving aid from the Deacons Fund. And they sent back a check along with a thank you note and said, please use this to help someone else. And that's what happens. There are times when we may be struggling and then God turns it around and we're able to help someone else. And there's that principle that each one of us can give out of our abundance to assist those who may be in need. Sometimes, if there seems to be a chronic ongoing need, we refer to our budget counselors for some additional help. The Deacon's Fund isn't a long-term solution for anyone, but rather it's a way to take the pressure off for a while so a person or family can find a solution to whatever problem put them into this need. And we often use this fund to help families get Christian counseling. And some tremendous life change has come from this fund. So sometimes it's used for a financial need to get people through an emergency or a crisis. Other times it may be used uh, to help with counseling. And uh, we have done that. We've made arrangement with a local Christian counselor where we have provided. We ask people to pay what they are able to pay toward that, and we'll cover the rest. And we do that for a limited number of appointments to assist people to get them on their feet. And it has been a tremendous blessing. Let me share with you some of the stories in an anonymous way or to tell you some of the thank you notes that have come as a result of this. One, one woman wrote, she said, For me, there have been many ways in the church that God has helped me. When I first started, I was in need of counseling, and the church found someone in the church for me to talk to. Then several years later, I was a recipient of a Stephen ministry worker, and I worked with a wonderful lady for over a year. She encouraged me and prayed with me and met with me as our schedules allowed. She was there to listen and encourage and help me to seek God. She was an amazing Stephen minister and now has become a very good friend. The church also helped me when my mother found out that she had cancer and had only three to six months to live. The Benevolence Fund helped us to go see her one last time. It helped with our trip down, and my mother told me to tell the church, Thank you. We had not seen each other for four years, and she had not met all of her grandchildren at that time. And it was a tremendous blessing to see her before she passed away. I really thank God that there are these ministries. I have been blessed and my family has been blessed. And I thank God for a church that is willing to help those in need. We had another family going through a difficult time related to a loss of job and some changes that have reduced them to one income. They said life sometimes brings us in a direction that we never wanted to go. Over the past year, our family has found ourselves in a hard situation. We've been trying to survive on one income, but things have been very tight money-wise, but we were managing okay. And then the bottom fell out, if you will. The Lord has always been with us through this struggle, and He has blessed us with family and friends who love us. But in this last month, this struggle became more than we could bear alone. 
The church was able to help us with a house payment and part of our electricity bill. And because of the generosity of the wonderful people who give to the church, we are able to keep our house and keep the electricity on. You help keep a roof over my children's head. And there are no words to describe how grateful and blessed we are and honored we feel to be a part of a wonderful church like Lakes Free. You came alongside us and helped lift a burden that was too heavy for us to carry. Thank you is just not enough, but that's all we can think of. So thank you to the congregation, elders, staff, and pastors who all care so much about all of us. We definitely are a part of a family here. In different circumstances, there was a couple uh, last year at Christmas time. They were older, and they said, You know, in our family, we've decided this year that we really don't need anything. And so rather than buying Christmas gifts for one another that we don't need, they came to me and they asked if there was a family that they could help, a family who was struggling where they could provide some gifts for Christmas. And I knew of someone who was in that situation. This did not go through our deacon's fund, but it is another way that people have come alongside someone else to help. And here's what this family wrote that received that gift. They said that last year had been a particularly tough year for us financially. When we were having a hard time justifying keeping the refrigerator plugged in because there was nothing in it, the thought of Christmas shopping for the kids was not even an option. As Christmas drew closer, it was hard to get into the spirit of it. Why even put up a tree? There won't be any presents to put under it anyway. I knew God would provide for our needs, but our needs were so great at that time that I couldn't ask God to provide for our wants. But through the generosity of someone in this church, the week before Christmas, Pastor Rick called me and said he had something for us at church, and we could pick it up whenever we were that way. It was a Christmas card with cash in it. The amount was $300. To be used however we needed to, to buy gifts for our family. I would like to take this opportunity to say thank you to whoever that was. God used you to bless my family's life, and I thank you. And then one more. In a time of despair and uncertainty, we came to find out about the Benevolence Fund. We were going through a time of financial difficulties and job insecurity. Our family was not in a position to help us out. The possibility of foreclosure was becoming a reality. The home where you're supposed to feel comfort and peace and solace from a chaotic world was being threatened. And it was hard to accept our circumstances. By the world standards, we were high risk. We were advised to file for bankruptcy. But we had every intention of paying our debts. And the thought had never entered into our minds. After someone from the church mentioned the Benevolence Fund, we found out how loving and understanding a church family could be. Instead of asking for a credit report or my Social Security number or my firstborn child, they asked me how much I needed. And a huge weight was lifted. After feeling worthless, we mattered to God. And this is the unconditional love he keeps telling us about. All of a sudden, I kept hearing these verses. We are to lift each other's burdens. And in this world, you have trouble, but do not fear. I have overcome the world. The Benevolence Fund meant to us that no matter how empty our bank account is, God knew our hearts and how full we are with gratitude, appreciation, and the love of Christ. That's the picture heaven will be like 
No need to have a passport to enter. No need for a background check. Lord will be expecting us with no baggage claim. And what a relief that will be. Amen. These are just a few of the many people that we have assisted over the years to provide for them at a time when life was difficult. Heart. And you were a blessing to that. And I want to thank you for giving out of your abundance to be a blessing to the lives of others in our church. We never know when we might be the recipient. We might have that need as well. About $10,000 is given each year through our deacons fund. We are not set up to do long-term you know, mortgage payments or things like that. It's usually more of an emergency situation to help someone through the month or to um, help with a car repair or food for the table or gas or a utility bill or something like that. But $10,000 can do an awful lot of good. This morning, as a response to the message, we're going to be taking an offering for our deacons fund at the end of the service. I'm going to ask the ushers at the end after we sing this song. They're just going to be at the exits, and if you want to give something, you can put it into the uh, collection at that time. If you're not prepared to do that today, and I understand because it wasn't announced ahead of time, you can do that at any time using your offering envelope and designate a gift for the Deacon's Fund. But what a blessing it is to have those resources so that when someone comes, we can assist them as part of the body of Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the way that you have met the needs of so many in our church over the years. And you've done that through caregiving. You've done that through counseling. You've done it through people who just simply walk alongside of someone and join with them in prayer. And you've done it through financial resources that have been a blessing. Father, as we take this offering today, we just ask that you would multiply it many times over to help people in our congregation with their needs and to be a blessing to them. And Lord, we thank you that we who are able to give have been blessed because of your generosity to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.